Welcome to another episode of Foreign, Domestic and Forbidden, the podcast about books and ideas. I'm Tim Trash. And I am Joaquin Lobo. And we'll be your host for the next hour and for the 20th time, Joaquin. Can you believe it? For the 20th time, I'm asking you, how are you? <laughs> It's crazy. This is our 20th episode. I can't believe it. I know. We said, okay, we'll do 10. We'll do 10. Yeah. And, and then, then like a lot. Yeah. I don't know. When when did we start? Was it like a year ago or over December? A year? December, yeah. So December. That's yeah. that's a lot of episodes. That's a lot of episodes, yeah. Yeah. And so we're we're gonna get our 25 or 26 if we keep going in December <laughs> and then like then then year after year. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, it's cool. Uh, episode 20, um, housekeeping, um, if you like us, um, give us a five-star rating, um, subscribe to our service. So that creates some weirdness in the algorithm and then more people can see us. So hit the subscribe button. And yeah, if you have any questions, um, we're available at trashandlobo at gmail.com so you can email us um and you can of course ping back or comment on things via our website and and what have you so if you need to get in touch with us you can get in touch with us um yeah i think that's and that's if you don't like us please don't hurt our feelings yeah don't hurt our feelings just just Say, tell, tell your worst enemy, you gotta listen to this podcast and, and then maybe they'll like it. So, <laughs> although I have found over the years that our worst enemies are usually exactly like us and we hate that in them. Like oh. when, when, whenever I don't like a person, I really sort of develop a dislike of them. They're doing something that I'm doing and it irks me. And, um, It's it's a it's a weird it's but, a weird thing. That makes sense because usually, you know, we are our own worst enemies ourselves, right? So it makes yeah. sense that our worst enemies, who are not ourselves, are people like us. They're doing things that that we do. Exactly. Yeah. So and and that and that usually helps. Like when when I see somebody doing something, I'm like, oh my god, why is he doing that? Or what? Um, then I can go back and say, huh, yeah, yeah, that's that's what I'm always doing. And, 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 it, and it makes me feel a little better about my hatred because I don't hate that. I don't have to hate them quite as much anymore. And um, it's okay. Yeah. Well, the whole thing of the self-hating individual is very interesting, I think. And I, and I do think, I said that yesterday, in the classroom at my first class of the semester that all writers hate themselves. And I think that's about true. It's probably 95 or 98% true. Even if you're very successful, if yeah. you have a lot of money, if you sell a lot of yeah. books. I, I still think that Dan Brown wakes up in the morning and hates himself for not being David Foster Wallace. I, 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 I buy that. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, maybe not. You know, maybe he's the happiest person on the planet and and beyond self-doubt and self-hatred. 
which would be great. I mean, I don't wish anything bad on Dan Brown, but I do think that he wakes up and feels he never got the critical response he deserves. But but did you actually read any of his books? Oh yeah, read the My, Da Vinci Code. The Da Vinci Code, Angels and Demons. I read the Lost. No, the Last Symbol. You like, lost you symbol. like Dan Brown? You're reading all of his yeah. stuff. See, Dan Brown. I might have said that already. I I don't know, but Dan Brown's genius is that whether or not he realizes that i think he does realize that or his at least his editors realize that his genius is that he writes books for people who can only read in 15 or 30 minute increments mm -hmm. you know on the subway while you're taking a shit while you're mm -hmm. having a lunch break any of these things and you read them and every beginning of the chapter he repeats what happened in the previous chapter he right. always gives you these tiny summaries like on television what happened so far um and and so you can read it in these 15 30 minute increments and always feel you're keeping up with the plot which the plot is the same in every single one of his books and so it's an easy read. It's also a really good read if you want to read a book out loud to someone, which I've done in the past quite a bit. And the language is relatively simple and straightforward. You can follow the action really easily. He does repeat things constantly. And it's it's a really good book to read aloud. And and read it to a loved one, share it with them. It's 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 phenomenal. Just like Harry Potter. You can read Harry Potter to other people. Right. And yeah, it's that's true. And I it's entertaining. It to my child when he was little, mm. of course. Yeah. I well, admire that, the ability to keep someone engaged. I think that's very important from the beginning of time. If you don't have an audience, interested in, in in what you have to say then you are doomed to to write you know very successful books that will be reviewed by by two or three academics yeah but, um, but won't be read by by larger audiences which is also fine i mean i i i, I have a lot of respect for very obscure sophisticated exquisite writers who only write for a few sophisticated exquisite readers mm -hmm. um, but personally uh, i i decided to write for a larger audience yeah now that i have dan brown's audience <laughs> <laughs> i think that i i i had to compromise and write books that um that rely more in plot than than you know language yeah and plot is great you know that's why i love 19th century novels so much because they 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 knew they appreciated the value of plot they were able to identify very soon that audience um demanded plot hmm. mm -hmm. engaging plot and you have balzac and you have dickens and you know you have victor hugo and so on 
incredibly successful writers because they they wrote knowing that humans have this need to know what's going to happen. It's a very human need that you have to know what's going to happen. And in order to do that, you have to keep them engaged, keep us engaged. Yeah. Although I feel that at the at the beginning of the 21st century, I can't even imagine what's going to happen anymore. So I don't want anybody to tell me what's going to happen. Right now, sort of coming maybe out of the pandemic or at least entering a different stage of the pandemic where we don't always wear masks and ignore the pandemic a good deal mm -hmm. and pretend it's not really there anymore. At this point, I feel people are so tired. They're, they're really like sort of like, like, I don't know, like coming out of a, maybe a coma or I, I don't know how I actually would feel if I came out of a coma, but, but, but everybody seems very under stress, um, kind of burned out. And, and I think this, this whole, oh, we need to know what's going to happen is, has been diminished, not because maybe we don't really want to know, but nobody can know. I think the belief that there's somebody who can tell us what's going to happen is entirely gone. I was thinking of something a lot more prosaic than what you just said. Uh, when you said knowing what's going to happen, I immediately remember that I just watched the first episode of the new season of Game of Thrones, House of Dragons. Oh, how was they it? Have these, they have this, um, at the end of the episode, you know, they always have this kind of, of thing where they they say, um, next week, you know, and they, they give you a preview of what's going to happen. And I never watch that because I never <laughs> want to know what's going to happen next week. And yeah. as a rule, not just for this series, but as a rule for any series, yeah. I have to, uh, you know, turn off the, the um, get out of the, of the computer or the TV because I don't want to know what's going to happen. Yeah. How was it? How 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 was House of the it Dragon? It was great. It was oh. great. You know, I watched Game of Thrones at least twice. And, oh. uh, I think I think only twice. Um, <laughs> I know I will watch it again sometime in the future. I like that. Uh, and I just read yes this morning actually that it just got renewed for a second second season. So I assumed that it was extremely successful um, on the last week when when it. Uh, the first episode was was broadcast. Was yeah, Are you, did you watch it? I haven't, and I'm not sure I will. I'm actually pretty sure I won't. There might come in the future a point where I feel, okay, now is a good time. I think I started watching Game of Thrones when the second season came out, and then I binge watched the first season. I think we pirated it. Um, the first season and then switched mm. to HBO. And I, I really loved Game of Thrones. It was it was an event. We would meet up with friends and we would watch it together. And um, it was 
it, it was really great. Um, for for several seasons, I was living in New Mexico, and Sunday nights we would meet up, um, drink vodka, and and watch Game of Thrones. But I don't know something something about the new series. A, I, I think I don't like prequels, which is of course nothing scientific, but just sort of like a personal thing. But if I know that something else has already happened and played out, and uh, spoiler alert, if you've watched the ending of Game of Thrones, then you know how the mother of dragons ends up. And, and so a prequel always feels to me really, really weird because I don't want to know what happened <laughs> before I want to know what happens next. And so the, the whole prequel thing strikes me as odd. And I don't know. Um, the other thing is that really feels to me, I, I don't know, 2015, 14, right. 16. Yeah. And it feels very pre-pandemic. And I don't think I can go back to watching dragons and uh extreme violence and all that in in that format to me that's something that happened before our house burned down before the pandemic hit all that and it seems it seems like reading diaries from 10 years ago i i never kept a diary actually but i i kept it for a year or two and then i lost them so i could never read them but i, I would never want to go back to that i would feel it would feel claustrophobic. So that's long story short. I, I won't watch it just yet. But you maybe, have to but maybe. you have to tell me. Yeah, it's good. I like it so far. Yeah. It's a strange. It's it's you know, going back to something that you hope is going to be familiar, but it isn't really that familiar. It's just a version of what feels familiar and comfortable. Yeah. So I have to get used to that discomfort and adapt myself to 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 new characters and uh, a new storyline it's going to be interesting i'll i'll let you know yeah the yeah. other thing when you talk about going back to things that feel data that belong in a different time um i i well I, I mentioned in several episodes that i i really like uh chinese science fiction yes uh, i find that extreme especially Xixin Liu. Uh, but there are many, many, including some Chinese American uh, science fiction writers who, who are amazing. And trying to to read some more classical science fiction, say uh, Ray Bradbury, for example, it just yeah. feels like it's it's interesting to go to into storylines that are set in the future, but were written um, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And it's just like our notion of the future has changed so much. What we think we know, the tropes, the uh, ways of imagining the future has changed so much in the past, I don't know, 10 years, probably because of, of the internet, probably because of uh, film and, and series that are set in the future. Um, so I think that 
when you when you think that the past is not what it used to be, of course the future is not what it used to be. It's <laughs> very interesting relationships with, with things that 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 we think we know um, that we that we imagine in a very specific way. And I don't know if that's that has anything to do, you know, with with your reaction to 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 prequels yeah yeah that the, the future doesn't look the same anymore that 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 i totally believe in um yesterday evening when i had my class i sometimes ask students what they're most afraid of sort of as an icebreaker everybody has to say what they're most afraid of Oh, and wow. you you always get snakes and spiders and death right. and all that. Mm. But yesterday, somebody said something that I haven't heard much before, and that's natural disasters. And it makes oh. perfect sense, of course. Right. Um, we were talking a little bit about that. And he said, there's not a single day that he doesn't think about what's going to happen, how bad it's going to get. Oh, what the whole country will experience because we see of course natural disasters not just in california but in kentucky in texas in montana really everywhere true and europe has had its worst drought in 500 oh, years in 500 yeah. years i know i mean motherfucker 500 years those those rivers are dry and they they're going to be drier it's what's going yeah. to happen, right? East Africa has a has a monster drought. It's the fifth year. Um, so so anyway, and, and and the student, yeah, said every single day he thinks about that. And so yeah, our future, I don't think in the 50s or 60s or 70s, even people might have expected doom and gloom, but not at the hand at the hand of Mother Nature. I don't think so. If you if you watch films, science fiction films, or read science fiction narratives from the fifties and the seventies, I think they're dominated by by you know the Cold War paranoia. Yes, we're invaded by aliens, we're attacked. The the, the threats that humanities humanities experience have to do with external agents usually. Yeah. But now. Um, climate change crisis, uh, global warming have created a very, very different scenario for, for science fiction. So you're going to see a lot of science fiction that we're already seeing a lot of science fiction that deals with getting the fuck out of here, right? Like we need to get out of here. We need to, we need to, we need to find ways of, of recreating, um, what we have on earth somewhere else. And, yeah. and you know, that's that's for instance, if you lose the three three body prong, trying to get out of out of the planet Earth because it's going to collapse. It's already collapsing. And I I think that younger generations, uh, your students, my child, have a very very different sense of what the future is going to look like than we did, of course, because we didn't have any of this. I think we grew up well. You sort of 
had a different experience coming from Germany, but you yeah. know, really growing up in Mexico, no, no major, I, I didn't give any thought to, to the Cold War because I was too far from that. Yeah. Yeah, and in some of the science fiction I watched as a kid, when they envisioned doom and gloom in the future, it was often either at the hands of war, as you said, Cold War, paranoia, all that, um, or through an authoritarian regime, a very repressive society, an overpopulated society, something like soil and green where we make right, humans into into food <laughs> <laughs> i know <laughs> and and I, I also i don't i don't remember the title of the movie at all but i i watched one as a kid that made quite an impression on me with peter ustinov the british actor and mm -hmm. it's a society where everybody can only live to age 30 and then they're being terminated and they have this little sensor in their head in their hand in the palm of their hand and i think during the last year maybe the last few months it starts blinking and one one of the main characters is his his time is basically stolen and set forward to make him do a certain thing and so he's trying to get out of out of that society which lives in um in an enclosed area i believe because outside the world they say inside outside the world is just a wasteland and so they're trying to get out and that's where they meet peter ustinov um who was i don't know how old he was at that time i think in the movies the supposed to be in his 50s or 60s and and to them just seeing this old man is is, mirac <laughs> is miraculous and, and, yes, and they, they want to touch him and they're oh my god this this exists we're not yes. just all young you know and it's it's really beautiful that that moment of these two main characters a man and a woman going to see this old man and being just wowed by how old he is, which is not the experience we have here. Like usually people go, oh my God, I can't believe how old you are. But there it's a miracle and they really love that. But anyway, so we have these very oppressive, repressive regimes projected into the future. That I think is still with us. The way things are going in the US and elsewhere is not like I don't think what we have been looking for or hoping for for our future, but climate change definitely is the most worrisome of all those scenarios. I, I do like the idea of having a deadline, an expiration date for humans. And I know this is, sounds extremely fascist, but I think at some point... <laughs> <laughs> what we humanity needs to do is to consider that that due date, that expiration date for for human life, and in a way it does. You know, I think that the planet, uh, nature, not the planet, nature, it's so wise that part of why we have you know these incurable diseases like cancer or 
what you, what we just had the the COVID uh, pandemic. Yeah. It's a way in which nature protects itself and gets rid of a bunch of us uh, with uh, virus or disease that that can be cured. Otherwise, if you had a cure for every single virus, just imagine how many people we still have in, we will still have in, in the planet. So, I you know I I I started working on a on a book just like you know many other books that I, I I have not finished and this was maybe I shouldn't tell it because someone is gonna steal my idea because it's really good. I'll just say <laughs> but this book is about you know a colony where you take all people to die. Wow. Uh, just like we have retirement homes, this is a place where you take your father, your mother, the the elderly person you're taking care of, and you just leave them there and they're taken care of. Mm. Uh, and this is a society, of course, very similar to what you just described, where, you know, humans have an expiration date. It's like, okay, sorry, folks, you're going to be 75, time to go. And you take your dad, you take your mom, and you, you know, they'll take care of, of, of them because no one should be allowed to live more than 75 or 80 or whatever, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. number you want to put in the in the premise of, of the story. But it's an interesting idea. 30 yeah. is way too young. I oppose it because I'm 16. So that, that I mean, that I, I have no use for, for that idea. But at some point, I think that people, especially if you're not healthy, uh, if you're going to become uh just you know an incredible weight on someone's shoulder i think you you need to consider to 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 move to one of these hypothetical colonies so they can take care of you is that too, <laughs> is that too awful <laughs> it's terrifying that's terrifying although although i do sometimes i do sometimes think about old age and what i would do if I could not take care of myself anymore, which is weird. I never thought about that. I was always like, okay, there's always a gun somewhere, you know, or <laughs> a box of pills if, if push comes oh, to shove. But, so but I, well, since I am getting older, um, I, I, I've been thinking about that. And I don't know, we're, we're not cherishing old people at all. Uh, we we hate them, which is also weird because everybody wants to get really old. When you ask people, oh, they usually I say, "I I, I want to get old." What's well, with that? But then they hate old people, and and so why do we why do we want to get old when we hate being old? Well, I don't think that people want to get old. I think they want a long life, and there's an entire really freaky thing going on with the super wealthy, and this is a lot of Silicon Valley people who are trying to find ways of living a long, long, long life, but super, super healthy, right, and super yeah. wealthy. Yeah, and they even you know this whole idea of freezing yourself after you die so they can be brought back in five hundred years when we have the technology, there will yeah. be no planet and there will be no technology, of course. Yeah, um, but there is this fixation fixation with really long and healthy lives, which is I don't I'm not going to say it's American only. You see a lot of that in the U.S., but I'm sure that it's something that wealthy 
people, a lot of techies fantasize about in many different places. The possibility of a long and healthy life. Because just living many years, you know, 80, 90, 100, just for the sake of living, but you're completely messed up and you cannot walk and you cannot take care of yourself, I think that's really stupid. But the attractive is to live, you know, to be 110, 120, that's the fantasy. But your cognitive healthy, you can walk, you can exercise, you can drink, you know, your very expensive wine and your super fancy food. I think that's very appealing to a lot of men, especially men who have these fantasies. Yeah, I can see that. But it's it's also so I don't know, there's there's a little bit of fascism in that too. This oh um we want to live that long and we want to be healthy because what if I'm not healthy and I still want to live? You know, what if I don't have... But you won't. If you're not healthy, you aren't going to live to be 90 or 100. Well, I, I don't know. There are a lot of people who get really, really old that are not super, super healthy. You know, I mean, like, it's... it's Of course, you have to have sort of a base health, you right. know, like like something has to be... but. Well, what if you're stooped and you can only take small steps or your your hands are trembling or whatever? I mean, I, I think I want to just claw and hold on as long as I can, you know, like to see what happens too. Because this is, even though we're having all these catastrophes, natural disasters, climate change, what have you, I want to know what happens. You know, it's like House of the Dragon, you know. Yeah, I don't want to have pictures <laughs> from that future. You know, I don't want to see the end credits where they tell me all what, what I'm going to see next week. I don't want that. But I want to know what happens. I want to, like, next week, I want to be there and see what happens. So, I don't know. Um, but, but yeah, this 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 thought of of being at the mercy of some system that in the united states is just not very good i mean elder care here is is terrible and elder abuse is rampant that's a little frightening this whole specter of what's going to happen then you know um we'll see if if we if we're still doing the podcast when we're sort of in our 80s we can come back well in episode 20 we were worried about this you yeah know? but we'll do it like you know once a year not not twice <laughs> <laughs> and then somebody has to stand next to us and push us hey wake oh, up yeah. wake up you're still on air you're still on air exactly exactly yeah. i don't even know we're gonna have podcasts like in five years probably we will something else will be invented You'll probably, mm. get, you know, you'll probably get your information in a different way. Podcast, you know, really, podcast is is radio. It's, it's just yeah. like going back to the nineteen twenties or thirties. It's just radio, right? It's a different kind of radio. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's lovely because of that. I love to listen to my podcast. I'm listening to this podcast from Mexico City now. Uh, mm. called um, Así Como Suena, which means something like, that's the way it sounds, Así Como Suena. It's interesting, you know? And, and, and my podcast from Argentina, Conchas, which is, you know, this radical Argentinian feminist that Concha mm. means music. So it's like 
you know, totally wild and interesting. Uh, Ooh, and, wow. And edgy and dark and, and smart. Um, but, you know, it's, it's just like radio. And for those of us who grew up with radio, of course, this is something that doesn't happen very much for young people these days. I don't know what they listen to. They have TikTok, which has nothing to do with radio. Um, but those of us who grew up with, with radio love podcasts, I think, because of that reason. It brings us back to, to, to that uh, time when, you know, you're sitting, you're, you're, you're a child, you're at home, and the radio is on, and your mother or someone is listening to the radio, and you're, even if you're not listening to it, you're registering, in a way, what's going on with those, those voices. Yeah, in Germany, when I was living in Berlin, every morning at, I think, 9 o'clock, might have been 9.30, for half an hour, somebody would read from a novel, a oh, work of fiction. Oh, my God, half an hour. Yeah, half an hour. And, oh, it was lovely. Like, when I was... When I didn't have anything going on that early, I would switch on the radio, lie in bed, maybe have a coffee and and listen to it was always an actor reading from a mm -hmm. novel and just listen to them read the novel. And that's that's how I stumbled into Anna Karenina, oh you know, just God. being read to me. And it was lovely. It was, I think, uh, Deutschland Radio. Uh, German radio like it, it's it's a it's a special program it's not like right. your commercial station but that was really really nice I love that and so a podcast is a little bit like that somebody just telling you something it doesn't sure. have to be fiction but somebody just intimately telling you something and that's also what I miss currently in just normal radio I love listening to NPR but Often I find that after about half an hour or hour of listening to something like All Things Considered, I have to switch it off because everybody is talking with such an urgency and, and is trying to cram as much information as possible in as little time as possible. And everybody is, is talking with that kind of pressure and so after an hour, I'm really just stop, stop. You need to stop. This this time when radio moderators were a little more laid back, when people had time actually to talk, I think that has really transitioned all over to podcasts. Right. I absolutely agree because NPR, I listen to it a lot, but it really gets on my nerves and it's just... At some point, I can't take it anymore. Yeah, I constantly feel that you know they're trying to push this issue, and they have this thing that they want to talk about for you know twenty four hours. And some days is COVID, some other days is Ukraine, and I just get sick of listening to the same stuff over and over again. And podcast is a really great way of not doing that like I have all these choices and I can I mean I, I always remember that when we started this podcast you asked me to listen to your favorite uh watch related podcast and I, I just thought that was so amazing and lovely and 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 and, and refreshing 
that you know that there is a podcast where they only talk about watches, and that's just the kind of thing that I need when I when yeah. I don't want to listen anything that has to do with the COVID COVID pandemic or. Yeah. Or what's going on, you know, with American politics or the Republicans or, you know, these or that. Yeah. Yeah. Big shout out to watch podcasts, the Grenado 40 and 20 um, <laughs> casual watch review, casual watch talk. Um, <laughs> no, they're awesome. And when I try to sort of calm down, maybe before bed, maybe just in the evening while while I'm having a cocktail or so. It's really lovely to, to listen to something that has nothing to do with anything, that is not about catastrophes, that is very nerdy, <laughs> very, very low pressure. Um, yeah, it's, it's nice. My, my favorite novel, since we're supposed to be talking about books, my favorite novel that deals with radio, it was written by Peruvian, it's not Peruvian anymore, it's a Spanish writer, Mario Vargas Llosa, mm. who I'm going to present as a case to support my theory that at some point people have to die because Mario Vargas Llosa became an asshole in his old age, this fascist conservative prick. And he was one of the most admired writers, uh, you know, that I had in my life when I was a young man. And always, you know, uh, interesting, smart, sophisticated. And at some point, he decided he wanted to be a conservative prick. But before becoming that, uh, he wrote way, way back, probably in the 70s, a fantastic novel called uh, La Tia Julia y el Escribidor, and Julia and the Scriptwriter. And he's just one of the funniest books that you ever read and you know it's this guy who, who writes for for radio in lima back in the 1950s or something like that mm. i don't remember very well mm -hmm. but he writes those serials for for tv like serialized novels um radio novelas uh that were used for, i don't know if they still exist but they used to be super popular in, in latin america in the golden age of radio and this guy who writes, you know, the most popular radio novelas at some point starts losing it. And he finds himself, you know, writing too many episodes for too many different uh, radio novelas. <laughs> he starts to mix up all the characters. So <laughs> the people who are listening to the, to the, to, to the radio uh, novelas start to call the station and say, What's going on? You know, I was listening to this, and then this other character from this other radio novella pops up in the middle of this one. What's going on? And you know, there is this crisis. So management calls the guy and says, "You have to fix this up. Something, you know, do something about it because we're gonna we're gonna lose business. We're yeah. not going to listen to the station anymore." So one way in which he deals with this confusion is. Um, he he comes up with a, like a super major earthquake that he, that hits Lima and kills everyone. So every single character in the radio novela dies. <laughs> so, you know, he starts from scratch a new one. I, I don't know. I, I just <laughs> just just makes me think of that. You know, that time when even even TV was was not accessible for everyone. Of course, no one ever could even imagine a streaming back in the 1940s or 1950s. Yeah. 
and and you had the radio. The radio was what kept you company. And I feel like, you know, when I'm taking my my walk around Lake Merritt in Oakland, I'm listening to my podcast, I go back to places that's very comfortable and very familiar. Mm -hmm. What's going to look like in 10, 20 years? I don't know, but I have the sense that's going to probably still appeal to that kind of emotion and relationship that we had in the early days of radio. Yeah, and especially during during times of strife, I feel to bring in people who are not trying to sell you anything, who just want to talk to you, the audience, about things they love, is really sort of the closest thing to, to having a good friend come and and just talk to you about whatever they want to talk about. Exactly. Um, and I mean, I, I really discovered <clears throat> podcasts only. I mean, I knew they existed, of course, but but I, I, I didn't used to listen to them. And um, our house had burned down in the next year. Um, Paradise, California, burned down and sent... Mm. I mean, smoke our way. I mean, like like limited visibility. The the sun was partially blocked out, and it the smoke stayed with us for for several weeks. In the first few days, I especially the first day that it that it hit Sonoma County and the, they closed the campus, and I picked up my dogs from the kennel. Um, and I was by myself and I went back home. At that time, we lived in West County and I went back to the ranch there and smoke was everywhere. And I was very, very panicked at that point. It just, it, it was, it was lost. You couldn't grapple to what had happened or. Yeah, it, it just felt too close for comfort. It was just too reminiscent of the year before okay. when our house had burned down. Right. And um and I started to look up. I had just bought a new watch and I started to look up like just just random, just to do something on my phone and not think about that. And and that really led me to watch podcasts and and I and, and and now I'm listening to a bunch of other podcasts as well as well and and it's really to me really comfortable because usually people are not radio personalities they do it because they love doing it um, they're they're right. not very 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 sophisticated in that medium they just try to do the best they can that's not their first job right and and so the the connection i feel is always this tell me something about yourself tell me something about what you care about and do it in a in a relaxed way you know mm -hmm. don't do it in this overproduced way i listen to for example the podcast with bruce springsteen and president obama um, I would never listen to that. Yeah, and um, how was it? It well, 
it was kind of fun, but it was, I, I feel it was overproduced, mm. you know, um, it was kind of too slick. They were very relaxed and, and it was fun often to listen to them, but, but at the same time it was overproduced. Malcolm Gladwell has a really interesting podcast, uh, Revisionist History. But it's also, it's it's this production that I don't like. I want just somebody to talk <laughs> yeah. and, and, and tell me something where like two people sitting there or three and and shooting the shit and talking about a certain topic and make little detours. Because as I said, like in commercial radio or in more heavily produced podcasts, I always feel there's this pressure to keep up. There's no time to relax and maybe do the dishes. It's, it's I want to do my dishes and listen to that. I want to drive in the car and listen to that. I want to take a walk and listen to that. But I don't want to feel it's all it's marketed to me, or it Sometimes tries. Sometimes commercial me. radio can be interesting. I've been invited many, many times to commercial radio, and when I'm doing promotion for a book in Mexico City with you know some of the top uh, radio hosts, uh, journalists in Mexico City, and I usually have terrible experiences because, of course, they never read your book and they always ask you the same stupid questions. Mm. They have someone who probably writes a couple of questions for them. So, you know, they're, they're a business. So they have these super fancy studios with a lot of people working for them. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the opposite of, you know, what I, what I like in a podcast. We don't have a production team. I mean, you are a production team. team. <laughs> everything. I, I, I'm lucky enough that you know, you know, you're savvier with technology than I am. I wish I could be more helpful, but you do everything that has to do with technology. Yeah, which is not um, a lot. But, but I, I love it when, you know, when we have a guest, like last episode, we had Jasmine yeah. and we talk about her books and we talk about Iran and we talk about, you know, writing or not writing in Farsi or Persian. And we talk about Bohemian life in San Francisco. It's just like a really nice engaging conversation with a friend. And the only thing that's missing is, you know, a cup of coffee and the table, right? Exactly. exactly. And that's, that's the podcast that I like when it feels just like that. Yeah. Yeah, I started listening when I started listening to watch podcasts. One of the first ones I caught was big shout out to them too, two broke watch snobs. Hmm. And they just do it for for an hour and a half and they talk about everything. The so, I mean it's mostly watch related, but there's so much talk about all kinds of other stuff. Um and and that and that's what I like. It's it's not focused on just the one thing. And you you're getting to know to a certain degree why they're doing what they're doing, how they're thinking about certain things. And that's really interesting. Just do, to... I never asked you this question, but why Why do, not necessarily you, but why do people, is it collect? Is that the, the right term for liking watches, collecting watches, loving watches? Because collecting is such an interesting thing, right? I mean, I people collect all kinds of different things depending on 
their budget and their taste. Right now, I'm researching a little bit on dolls for my new book. So I'm, mm. I'm, and I'm finding so much stuff about collecting a specific type of doll. Right. Oh, interesting. See, I I don't think I collect things. I hoard things. Oh, you know, I, so you I, like collector to me is something. Oh, you have, <laughs> you have a certain thing, yeah, like a certain doll, and then you need every single example of that certain doll, and 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 I hate that. And um, you curate, right? You do different yeah. criteria for gathering a specific thing. I, I, I'm not. I'm 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 totally not. Um, but but what one of the hosts um, of that podcast, Two Broke Watch Snob, said was buying watches about is about feeling a giant hole inside of yourself <laughs> something is missing and you're just trying to fill that hole and it never works but you're spending money on trying to fill it that's the perfect definition for writing books <laughs> writing yeah. books and buying books because you know you're empty you need to do something with that void I yeah. love it. It works for me, you know, uh, as a, as a good reason to 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 write books and to read books because I also spend mm -hmm. a lot of time and money buying books. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you're looking for this one watch that will cure you of that, but you will never find it because there is no cure for what you're feeling. I'm going to ask you. Don't you don't have to answer because it, it might be a difficult. Uh, question to answer, but when you lose your house, you lose your watches and you lose your books, right? Yeah. So the, my question is what God, I'm sorry, we never talk about this. Uh, and I never <laughs> ask you any questions I've had to do with, 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 your, with, with losing your house, but did you feel a particular pain over losing watches compared to losing books? Hmm. Um, that is a difficult question. So I wasn't really quote unquote collecting watches at that time. I had a few. Mm -hmm. um, and the weird thing was that I had just bought one and it got delivered on a Sunday, which which I, that was my first Sunday delivery with Amazon. I, I didn't know they delivered on Sunday. Mm -hmm. But on Sunday, I got this watch, which I had gotten after I was a little tipsy. And I was like, oh, screw it. I'll, I'll just buy it. It, it wasn't that expensive. <laughs> but 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 for me, it was like, oh, my God, do I really spend money on, on, a, on another watch? Right. And... Since it was an automatic, I put it on my wrist on Sunday evening and went to bed with it. And that's why that one watch survived, because I was wearing it. Oh uh, and that night, our our house burned down and we, we left, uh, had to evacuate and and that one watch survived. It is, it, 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 it was... I was I was lucky. There were a lot of books I had that were in my office at the university, so I didn't lose all my books. Right. If if that should have happened, that would have been really really bad and probably worse than losing the watches. But I I lost some. 
some I very much loved, but but a very large amount of books was just was saved because they were at work. But it's weird about the I I, I can't I didn't replace the watches I lost because I didn't want any any ghosts around me. And we didn't buy anything that we had before that looked exactly the same. That wasn't that was the exact same model or looked the exact same way. So we tried to to replace like a coffee maker or a rice cooker with things that were slightly different. Um, a friend of mine had her house burned down for a totally different reason several years be, before 2017. And and she she like she and her husband went went through Amazon and bought and bought the exact same things again. Just like right. okay, we're we're just doing that, and that makes also sense in a, in a weird yes, way uh, be, because you're you're recreating the space that you had, what exactly. you were familiar with. You know, you're trying to get over this shock to your system of suddenly there not being anything. But, but I, yeah, but I chose not to and just make a clean cut. This was then, and this is a different time. And that felt more comfortable to me. That's, that's fascinating. I mean, I never thought about these choices that you have to make when you lose something. Do I either replace it with the exact same thing or? Where you find something that has nothing to do with the thing you lost. That's a fascinating idea that just making that decision, it's 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 incredibly interesting because it tells you know, it can tell so much about about in, in your case a couple, the way in which you as as a couple relate to 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 objects in your life. And probably probably the other person it's thinking of those objects that probably most likely in a very different way, right? Yeah. They're replaceable. They, they, they have a very specific purpose in my life and they, they have a space, a physical location yeah. and they need to be back. Right. But you, you don't want ghosts. You decided you didn't want any ghosts. You wanted something that was completely different. And I find that, I don't know, in in a way extremely courageous and 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 harder to 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 create new relationships with objects where you don't invoke the ghost of the past you do everything is everything is new and different i i love that yeah and i i still miss a lot of things i mean in 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 a weird way now i'm sometimes in in a it might sound weird, but I'm almost glad that that so my whole past burned down. But it's often also very disorienting, and and I still miss certain things, and they are still so little phantom limbs that I can feel mm -hmm. that that things that I had that I used to identify with that that were me, and then it's, then they're suddenly gone. But but you've I mean when when you came from Mexico City to to the States, you probably didn't bring that much. 
Yeah, I was 24 and I came to US with $60 in my pocket. When I landed at SFO, I had $60. So it's not like I, I moved house. <laughs> and I wonder if that felt... And many years later, when we moved to Argentina, you know, we had a container that we put on a ship, a cargo ship, all the way mm -hmm. down from mm -hmm. Oakland to Buenos Aires with every single thing that we owned. Books, paintings, you know, kitchen, appliance, mm -hmm. everything, you know. That we had, and I didn't ship my car. I should have probably taken the beautiful car that I had at the time. But you know, it was such a different moment in my life when I came from from Mexico to US. I was I was you know a kid, almost a kid, twenty four. But you also, I mean, you left everything that had surrounded you. Yeah, but I, that... I didn't have that. I didn't really have anything, you know. Like, yeah. like ownership was not. Um, a priority when I was a kid, and I didn't have, I didn't, I don't come from a family with money where you have stuff, right? I mean, the more money you have, you have more stuff. So I didn't have any of that. Yeah, I had 60, 60 bucks in my pocket, and it's spoken yeah. English. Nineteen eighty-six. When you moved back from Argentina, did you again uh, buy a container or? Or did you yeah, just... another container. But I got rid of a lot of books. Oh. And I, I, I still need to get rid of a lot of books. But, you know, that's an interesting thing with books. Just this week, I replaced a Cormac McCarthy book that I lent to someone. I gave No Country for All Men to a friend because I thought he he hadn't read it. He loved the film but didn't know the, the novel. So I gave the book to this friend. And I had this, like, you know, anxiety that, oh my God, I don't have no country for all men. So I went on eBay last week and I got it. So I just received it yesterday. And now I that, you know, space in my bookcase where all my, the Cormac McCarthy books is complete again. Mm. My set of Cormac McCarthy books. So I, you know, I feel like if I were to lose everything, I would be the kind of person who wants exactly the same things. Uh huh. Yeah. You know, the same yeah. coffee maker, the same books. I would probably spend the rest of my life looking for the same edition of the books that I have now. That would also be beautiful to, be to look for everything that's exactly the same. <laughs> you know, and go vintage and, and look for the, 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 the model year that you bought back then. That, but it's not the same, you know. I found 2005 edition of No Country for Men, first edition. But oh. it came with a with a little sticker. Oh, that's, nice! That, that you know, it's just like didn't my original edition didn't have a sticker, so I'm trying to peel out the sticker so it looks exactly <laughs> like the other one. But I have the ghost of the sticker now on the on the those jacket, and I'm very upset. <laughs> it is on that note. It is time for our recommendations. Oh my God! Well, do, you have, do you have something to recommend? Yeah, I'll recommend House of Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go back to the beginning. Cool. Yeah, I enjoyed that House of Dragons. I thought it was pretty cool for the first episode. I think you know it's going to be disappointing and polemical because a lot of people are invested in those things. Since you know we need distractors, we can be thinking about. Trump and Ukraine, so it's better to think of House of Dragons. So why not watch House of Dragons? Sweet, cool. Um, I'm going to recommend a book, and 
spoiler alert my alter ego has a story in that it's an anthology of climate related fiction it's called fire and water stories from the anthropocene and it was edited by mary fifield and kristen teal and it's a really lovely collection of stories that look from very different angles and from many different countries at what people have done to the planet experience with nature um all of that and yeah it's it's a really cool book and and it's um it's a book that gives you so that, that that is that is not preachy in any way or or uh, revels in the doom and gloom, but 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 looks at how our relationship with what we call nature that isn't really nature anymore, but nature, our relationship with nature has has changed. What we're looking at, uh, mm-hmm. how people have changed and adapted their thinking to certain situations, and yeah, it's a really cool book fire and water i want to read that book is it out already yeah it's um it's uh by black lawrence press and you can get it on any any platform stories from the anthropocene yeah it's Mm -hmm. available i'm i'm gonna get it i want to it does your alter Stefan Kiesbeck have a story? Yeah, 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 yeah. Are mm-hmm. these stories or essays? Hmm? Is it fiction or non-fiction? Uh, it's, it's fiction. It's fiction. Okay. All, all of it is fiction. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm going to get it. Cool. Thank you for listening. Thank you for spending an hour with us. Um, come again in two weeks, and we hope to have you again. The intro and outro music is by Springtide and it's their Coney Island Train Blues and it comes to us via the free music archive. Joaquin, good seeing you. Goodbye. Thank you.